Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. My name is Chris Wells, VP of R&D at Indico Data, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Michelle Govea. Michelle? Hey, Chris. Uh, we are pleased today to have uh, Stacy Brown, founder and president of InsureTech Hartford, uh, here as our special guest today. Stacy, welcome. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Um, so, so Stacey, you and I have have known each other for a while from the the conference circuit and InsureTech Hartford specifically. But uh, for for all of our listeners, uh, do you mind just giving your, a little bit of your uh, your background and your experience for us? Sure. Um, definitely. I think a lot of people have gotten to know me over the years through the work with InsureTech Hartford. But for those that um, might be new, uh, you know, Stacy Brown, I've been uh, on the carrier side of the insurance technology industry for uh, for 20 plus years. Um, I've worked for companies such as Travelers and, and XXL. And um, I've had the opportunity to do basically everything there is to do in the technology space over the years from, um, you know, building policy admin systems by hand when we used to do that in back in the day before, you know, the, uh, the, the big package uh, solutions came along uh, to, um, you know, even uh, AI and ML uh, related projects. Um, I uh, recently left my my role at Excel as head of innovation delivery, where I was, um, you know, overseeing a lot of different initiatives at, at the company. Um, so I, I also have a pretty broad background um, as far as innovation goes. Yeah, innovation in the insurance space is something we talk about. In lot. the insurance space, okay. yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Awesome. Well, well, Stacey, I would love to. Um, so, w- with those two two hats, kind of the technology background, but also the the lens and the the focus on innovation. Um, from my own experience within the, the insurance carrier, um, and just what I see uh, in, in my role today, there's 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 synergies there, but there's also sometimes some butting heads between the innovation projects that that teams want to get off the ground and the either the technology budget or the capabilities that exist in-house from a carrier perspective. How did how did your role, how did you marry those two? And, and um, what were some of the challenges or some of the successes you might have had um, within the carrier uh, pushing those two agendas forward? Well, it's always uh it's always a struggle. I saw um I heard somebody say once, and so this wasn't me, but I've been re- I've repeated it many times because it's so true, um, that uh when it comes to insurance companies and technology, uh, they basically have the ability to do anything they want. They just don't have the ability to do everything they want, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great problems, a lot of great problems to solve. A lot of, uh, every single one of them is 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 wonderful in its own right. But every organization, every organization struggles uh, mainly with with two big things, right? Budget and, uh, and capacity. Um, you know, there's only so many people in an organization uh, that have the skills necessary to run these projects, and uh, and and those skills are usually in demand across multiple projects. And so, uh, even when something makes a lot of sense financially, right? For if you can get past the budget hurdle, 
you sometimes wind up running into the, now how do we execute this hurdle? And there's always, um, there's always somebody out there, a provider, um, you know, consultant firm or, or whatever, willing to come in and step in and wear whatever hat that you want to wear on your, on your team. But it's not the same as having your experts um, engaged. Right. So uh, that those, so budget um, budget itself is, usually a first hurdle and you know every company is in a little bit of a different spot but most insurance companies are um you know they manage their budget tightly they're they're trying to meet certain uh, combined ratio targets and uh and so it spend is typically an allocation uh for the year right so they they sit down and they think oh we're gonna spend whether it's 10 million or 150 million or whatever the budget for the company is going to be on on technology next year so when you've got a fixed a fixed capacity and a fixed budget uh it it leaves you really with prioritization and you know Michelle you asked the question about you know how do you overcome the, the challenges of that quite honestly after 20 something years of doing it um you just don't sometimes because um you know, on top of on top of if you can if you can make a solid business case, and um, and then if you could even make the case that you have the expertise and capacity to do it, sometimes there's other things that are beyond your control. Like uh, I don't want to say politics, but you know, if there's a if there's a a group in the organization that's making a lot of money for the company, their voice is going to weigh more than than somebody else's voice, right? So, so you, you wind up having to balance those internal uh, it, uh, things as well. Uh, they definitely come into the factor uh, when it comes down to, to, to prioritization. Um, so I don't know, I hope I kind of went on a long rant about that, but hopefully, uh, hopefully that was insightful. It, it's helpful background color. Uh, you raised the notion of combined ratios, and one of the places where we know folks are focusing right now is um, trying to uh, fix up those ratios by focusing on, you know, obviously underwriting and claims. And then we've heard a lot lately about the intake process being a focus, especially for technology spend. So what are what are people doing in those areas today and uh, what would they like to be doing if they, if they had the budget, they had everything they needed. Um, you know, the, the, the intake process, I guess there's really two main uh, points of, of intake for, as I, as I'm thinking of it. And it's, I think is what you mean. Uh, one would be, you know, during the underwriting um process the intake of a new submission uh something for an underwriter to look at um and try to make it uh, come up with some kind of price quote um that hopefully leads to a bind right yep. um the other side of the coin is on the claim side right first notice of loss and you know there's been a lot of uh, over the years a lot of different innovations in that space of people trying to come up with apps and and and, and web portals and and things like that to help make um, claims reporting easier. But still, the fact of the matter is that every day, it, the first notice of loss insurance carriers are receive is a is a letter from a from a law firm in the mail, right? <laughs> like it happens every day. So no matter how much structured a, a approach and user friendly user journey type of uh, of tech and, and approaches we take, you know, there's still there's still 
unstructured uh, initiation of, of, of the claims process. I don't know that that'll ever go away either, right? Like if somebody hires a law firm because they don't want to talk to their insurance company first, well, the law firm's not going to log on to your to your company portal to submit a, a an FNOL FNOL request, right? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna write that twelve page you know document and stick stick it in the mail, send it certified return receipt and all that stuff, right? Billable hours, right there. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> we we've talked a lot about that, Stacy. Um, actually, that intake can can look different depending on your line of business, your your the company that you're working for, right? From various channels. And so, to your point, I agree. Uh, there's never going to be a single way that all documentation comes into the carry, either on the underwriting side or on the claim side. Um, that what what we've talked about a lot is having the right mechanisms in place to receive it, regardless of the channel that it comes in. So from an automation standpoint, what have you seen um, in your roles in terms of, uh, you mentioned it, right? The unstructured data intake, but even getting your systems prepared to then digest that data in a way that's that's usable in the downstream systems. Yeah, I mean, it usually starts... Um, the most common way that these these workflows starts tends to be through email inboxes, right? So you might get um, like a call center or a mail center that takes mail and scans it in and then sends it to a mailbox. And then uh, you get you might get brokers um, and agents submitting, uh, you know, claims that they're they're hearing uh, into an inbox or or um, or even on the on the policy submission side. Right. Email is just like tends to be the number one place that it's, it's probably the most common place that the process starts from, you know, there could be other uh, fancier things like API based, uh, you know, integrations and queues and things of that sort, but really it's, it seems to be inbox. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's still a good amount of people managing those inboxes, right? So um, over the last, you know, 15 years as outsourcing and offshoring uh, of, of this type of work became popular, uh, the way to save money was just to move the workload to the lowest cost labor market. And, uh, you know, that still happens. But what's happened as a result of that is it's actually made the business case for automation even more challenging, right? Because if you're paying somebody, you know, $8 an hour and they're and they're able to process, you know, you know, 30 mail, uh, e uh, emails an hour, right? Like that's, that's, a, that's a lot of productivity for a pretty low cost. And, um, and unless you're getting like a million of these things in a day, it's really hard to get the scale, uh, to make an investment. Right. So that's like one challenge point right there. Right. Um, uh, and, um, but once, once, so when it comes to automating, um, the process, somehow or other, you have to be able to break down that document, identify what type of document it is. Um, is it a, is it a, a claims document or is it a submission or is it, um, a, uh, is it a bill that should be going to, uh, to, to, to the procurement team or, or whatever, right? There's, there's all kinds of, is all kinds of things that those letters can be. Um, but then let's say you find that, Oh, this looks like, uh, this looks like a claim from a potential claim from a lawyer. 
you know, you need to go through there. You need to, to extract the, the entities, right? You need to know, like, try to figure out who is the, the claimant, who is the policy holder, um, what's the law firm, uh, if there is one even. Um, so it, it gets, it gets pretty complex, uh, to, to, to automate that process. And over the last several years, I've seen a number of initiatives with different technologies trying to figure out, um, you know, how do we, how do we classify the documents? How do we identify the, the data sets, you know, taking first, you know, OCRing the data, um, putting it into sentences, then using sentence uh, uh, fragmenting uh, uh, technologies to identify the the subjects, and 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 ultimately, um, you know, trying to extract the data. It's just been a real slog. So what's been happening is uh, there's been this trend to go towards specialization when it comes to 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 the AI, the natural language processing technologies required to do that that kind of extraction so and you know there are companies out there you know that when it comes to the technology and the the frameworks around uh, ai whether they're ml based or um or or rules based you know there's 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 only so many patterns right and so everyone at some level of abstraction is doing the same thing but with where people are are choose are choosing to focus and go real deep into just like you know claim first notice of loss for 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 homeowners policies right like that that is increasing success because you start getting enough volume um in, in order to uh to do the training and 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 actually that's like a whole nother challenge, right? So um, a check, a, another challenge is just making sure that you have the volumes of data to train these models. And so where there are providers out there that are able to use their learnings across, you know, multiple carriers, uh, you know, that is uh, a way of, of, of training models uh, better um, and, and faster and, um, that's, you know, from there, once the data is extracted, it needs to get from that unstructured format to the structured format. And uh, that usually uh, means that whatever the downstream systems are, it's usually you're starting out with your policy admin system. Um, and and so most policy admin systems today, IT groups, uh, uh, insurance companies have invested in their IT to, to put APIs out in front of them. Um, everything that's out of the box today comes with uh, out of the box APIs. So the good thing is I think we've gotten to the point as an industry where, you know, I don't have an exact figure, but I'd say it's a very high percentage of the solutions out there are, are API enabled. Right. So, so if you can get good at extracting this data, now you need to somehow map that data to the structured message format of these APIs. Right. And then once you can push what, so that in and of itself could require some magic uh, in terms of AI and, 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 and things of that sort. So, so um, I, sorry, I'm going to jump in there because my list of follow-up questions is now almost more than I can keep in my head. There's a lot of, good <laughs> sorry, uh, no, it's okay. go, go for it the, though. The first one is, you know, given you, you mentioned that um, volumes have to be really high to make a case to cut off the outsourcing and bring it back in-house with automation. 
So does the um, return on investment argument shift to looking like repeatability in the process and therefore cleaner structured data? Or is there some other tact that you see folks taking to make that automation case nowadays? Um, definitely quality is the thing because we're, we're one of the downsides of of using the low cost labor approach is uh, is quality. Um, you know, because people type and they make mistakes when they're typing. And you know what? Computers make mistakes when they're OCRing and reading. So you, you can never get to zero um, in, in terms of error rate. Um, mistakes are going to happen. But um, I, I, I believe that computers do a better job than humans at this stuff, especially when the humans get under pressure to go faster, um, you know, uh, you're you're in a renewal season. Um, half your team just got COVID. Whatever it is, right? When pressure happens, error rates go up too. Computers are always consistent. They'll always make the same errors, and they'll yeah. always do the same things right. <laughs> yeah, failing the same way every time is is I don't know. It's comforting. You can build a process around it. Um, yeah, and another argument around it though is trying to shift away from the 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 cost side of it. Um, um, and and also considering some of the other costs, right? Like um, you can, it's easy to look and say, well, you're paying somebody $8 an hour. That's so cheap. But then stop and think about where's that $8 an hour worker actually working. They're working in an office space that's in a footprint in a, and probably in a, in a, in a major city. And yep. um, you know, what if you didn't have all that overhead, right? Or you can greatly reduce that overhead. Um, but then there's also looking at it differently to say like, well, you know, you've had all these people, um, you know, working in your, uh, processing center for the last, um, you know, let's say eight years or something like that. Chances are they've learned a thing or two about your business along the way. Yep. What if you can use them in higher valued ways? So now the shift in the conversation goes from cost to, uh, from, from cash, uh, you know, cost to opportunity cost. It's like, what upside could we gain um, by having these 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 people um, do higher valued work? Uh, and 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 so that that opportunity cost side is something um, to look at. It's a it's a harder of it's a harder sell, and you usually have to be in a position where you just need the talent to grow your business, right? Yeah. Stacey, um, you hit on a number of points that that we've actually uh, talked about over over a few podcasts. Um, specifically that that opportunity cost and and helping um, automation helping get people to do the the work that um, it. I don't want to say it's more meaningful, but that is more analytical, right? Like you're you're taking out the the data entry and the the repeated steps to be to be more what is the business outcome or how can they drive to specific results um i'm curious in in your experience what what pieces of those different processes do you see that opportunity cost being most beneficial is it um faster response time on a claim because you've got all that data there and so that person spends less time figuring out what the claim is and more time uh, customer facing. Is it uh, faster time from quote to bind because that data is getting in there and it's cleaner on the underwriting side? Like where, where have you seen, I guess, where have you focused more of, the, of your time or where have you seen carriers that you've spoken to really focusing in um, within the different stages of these processes? 
I mean, you know, there's definitely from, you know, wearing an operations hat, uh, quantifiable metrics uh, that every, you know, service center, call center, back office uh, team uh, manages to. And, you know, it, it, you know, volumetric ones like how many per day, how many per hour. Um, you, there, there could be quality ones around uh, around error rates, the number of times things go back through the process. Um, so, so those those measures are all all there. Um, I think one thing that doesn't really get, you know, the analytical work is definitely something that, um, you know, freeing up those resources to do more of that is is definitely a piece of it. But there's actually something very important that I don't know if if you guys have been uh, running into this and having and seeing a lot of people talk about it, but the the technology is is actually enabling us to be more human again right less time spent having to enter data and even having to analyze that data by crunching it into reports and put it into the spreadsheet and then to that spreadsheet some people look at that as analytical stuff is but but what about being able to spend more time with your customers show better empathy um what about actually having humans answer the damn phone right like <laughs> geez who does that anymore right yeah. i think i think there's a huge opportunity for for uh for all this technology to enable us to just be uh going back to human again and spending more time together building relationships collaborating showing empathy and 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 um and building trust with 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 our customers with our partners and and, and others yeah, that that's a sub theme of this podcast, which is how human centric the whole automation world is um, and the, the opportunities that it unlocks for people. Um, I want to speaking of people, I want to go back to another point you made, which is around, um, you know, for some of these AI systems, especially the amount of data you need to train them to get to a high quality. And you mentioned the notion that there are vendors out there that are combining training data from multiple carriers. Why are carriers okay with that? I don't. I don't get it. Um, why would they not be okay? Well, I can answer that one myself, right? Uh, <laughs> <You're great>. so, <laughs> uh, because there's a greater outcome for the whole um, in doing so, right? and it's not like there's a line around the block of of carriers saying, "I want to sign up for that idea," right? Um, but sometimes, um, you know, companies. Uh, have been smart around how they've put their licensing agreements together and how and who owns what in terms of IP. And so the models um, are something that they um, will claim IP rights to, they being the the providers, right? And those once those models get trained, um, they own those models. And now the next company that they go to, um, you know, they're coming into the ta- they're coming to the table with those models and they're now improving them with new data sets. And, 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 and that's, that's how the evolution of the models and, the, and, and particularly those specialized models, right? That's how, that's how they improve. And one carrier can't really do that themselves because the only data they will ever see is the data in the four walls of their organization. Yep. No, that, that makes sense. Um, Hmm. It's interesting. So, at some point, at some point, if a if a tech vendor gets enough of this data, then I mean that's a danger to the carriers themselves. It seems like, but you know. well, well, sometimes, well, you usually the 
few things. Number one, if carriers are sharing data for to the vendors, they're 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 usually um, not they're they're always anonymizing it. No vendor should ever want to take yep. data from a carrier that's not anonymized, right? In one Absolutely. way or another, um, whether it's just outright in, encrypting key fields, which makes it hard to learn, uh, or just using you know scrambler routines, who you know will every you know every every um, it'll just randomly replace Chris with Stacy and whoever else is in the database and kind of switch them around. So you actually have real names in the fields. They're just not, they're not the when right. you put them all together, the real people, right? So like there's all kinds of routines around that, that for, for anonymizing. So, uh, but the, 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 the thing is that usually the, the carriers aren't like giving the data to the, to the provider, the providers bringing the solution to the data yeah. and then the models get trained and then, um, and then they own it. Okay, good. Thank you for unpacking that for me. It's helpful. Sure. I want to pull on this thread of data just a little bit because um, something else that that Chris and I have talked about is one, the data that the carrier or, or the broker uh, or the reinsurer has in house, as you mentioned, Stacy. Right. And then there's um, a lot of of companies out there now uh, selling data, uh, you know, as a service. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And, and we've seen a lot of companies doing this to to enhance or supplement the submission process or um you know validation that that what's on the submission or even what's on the claim is um is correct. Have, have you seen a, um a lot of a lot of solutions or a, a lot of focus on on additional data to support or supplement existing carrier data? Um, what are some examples time. there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that um examples. Um, let me see if anything comes to mind. Uh, uh, sometimes my brain freezes on these, uh, these specific examples, but definitely I'm, uh, I've seen, I've seen lots of solutions and I, and I know all the carriers are working on it. Like for example, uh, InsureTech Hartford has an annual innovation challenge where we work with carriers to identify, um, themes and challenges that they have. And then we'll, we'll do an open, uh, call for solutions, um, and last year, um, the 2022 Innovation Challenge, the Hartford uh, sponsored a category around um, uh, uh, data for Im improving the underwriting uh, uh, process, right? So um, that's just one example that comes to mind of carriers being hungry for this. Um, and there is a ton of data out there. And like, at um, and my last company, we had a person whose job it was just to constantly be looking at the marketplace for all the data providers to figure out who's bringing in something that's new and different. And every line of business kind of has its own needs. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a there's a few data providers out there that are like the giants of the world, like let's say the the Veris and the Carpe Datas and the Lexus Nexuses and um folks like that and um they're all gonna love me for saying that um and anyone i forget is now hating me but um <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's definitely the big conglomerates but there's very niche providers out there as well and um and i worked for a global carrier and one of the the, the challenges there was the data set consistently across the globe wasn't there right you'd be able to get you know much level much better granular data about you know 
property in the United States than let's say, you know, property in Uganda, right? So, you know, and, and, the, so your processes have to be um, tuned to, to that as well, right? So we like to think about, boy, if you just do everything the same way, it doesn't always work that way. And, and I'll I'll just add on to that. And Chris, this is one of your favorite things to to just like digest is sometimes the data you want is just not available due to the regulatory environment in that country, mm. right? So um, I, I, the one example I know of is uh, the amount of data available on small businesses um, between what's available in the UK and what's available in the US is strikingly different just based on um, what these businesses have to do from a self-reporting perspective. So Stacey, to, to your point, I'm sure there's, even if you have a strategy, right, a data strategy or um, it to implement that globally must look different based on, on your area, your geography of focus. Yeah, and absolutely. Does, it does. And then from a technology standpoint, it must pose other challenges from a, how do you get the system ready? How, how do you make sure that um, you have different systems that can take in whatever is available um, or pass through on something if, if something's not available that that exists in a different process. Yeah, and nowadays, you know, architectures are very integration, you know, focused. Everyone, every every carrier has to be good at doing integrations now. Um, to not be able to do integrations would be a problem, I'm sure. Um, and you know there are there are a lot of different patterns for for how to do that. Um, you know we've seen a lot of event based architecture type of solutions becoming you know more and more popular, um, which allows things to basically move at the speed of 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 computers, right? <laughs> As opposed to you know in, in the old days everything would be batch scheduled and um, you know the, even even when APIs came along people would batch schedule their APIs, right? And uh, so so now, you know, between with cloud computing um, uh, and allowing people to scale up and scale down more, more easily, uh, as as well as um, these, these more modern uh, event-based architectures like a Kafka or I forget what Microsoft's uh, version of that is, but, the, you know, these types of so solutions are, enabling us to do more integrations faster and still be performant. Because um, in, in the olden days, it's like every time you added another step into the thing, it was like another, you know, three seconds that someone was going to be waiting. And so there was always that challenge. Um, so we, so in addition to all the data, we are seeing the, the technology advances, um, both in compute power, storage, and uh, architectures, uh, and uh, security, all these things are um, just amazing. The, the way that solutions are being built, than let's say you know, twenty years ago when I for, when I used to do it myself by hand, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's also changing the cost structure as well. But um, we don't have to we don't have to go into that quagmire just yet. Um, you, we've talked a lot about the challenges and what's hard to automate and why it's hard to automate. But then you. I was getting bummed out, honestly. But then you raised, you know, the fact that integrations are making a lot of things simpler. So on the automation side, especially when it comes to, you know, artificial intelligence, that kind of framework, what's working actually on these on these intake processes? Hmm. There's it seems that you can get to like 80% pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um 80% of and what, by, actually? I, I was just going to say by 80%, okay. um, 
I, I would say in two dimensions. Number one, 80% of the data elements that you're looking for uh, can get you um, 80% accuracy yeah. um, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, then you wind up having these certain data elements that become difficult um, and harder to find. Uh, I've actually seen one of the things that's always been a challenge is extracting financials from financial reports. Yeah. Isn't every, everybody has a different way of doing it. So the, the old days, uh, the solution was, well, you know, we'll just go to like capital IQ or, 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 um, you know, one of those, you know, S and P or one of those data providers, because they had already conformed, um, everybody's financial reports into some, common data structure right um but but now what we're looking at are solutions that yeah you could take the annual report and and suck it in and we we know how the assets liabilities and equities break down and um and we can get all the ratios that you know that we want out of it once we have that so that's that's advanced that's that's stuff that i've seen people really struggle with and i'm excited to see um Please don't remember, ask me to remember the name of the company, but I, I recently seen somebody that can actually do that pretty well. And that is a part of the intake process, depending on the line of business you're, you're writing. Anything, a lot of the, a lot of the things that are in commercial and liability related are going to require financial statements, right? And um, and and so being able to extract data from financial statements is a, is a huge challenge. But anyway, eighty percent of eighty percent pretty quickly. Um, one of the, um, but then in terms of accuracy, you, you, there's that point of diminishing returns that um, remember, you'll never hit 100%. Even if you are 100% human, you will not be 100%. So um, there's, uh, with anything quality wise, it, it's, it's you, you reach these points where it's a lot more investment for not as not as big of, a, of, of an improvement. And if anybody's getting above 95% accuracy, uh, you know, they're doing pretty damn well. And, um, and so that's another thing. One of the other challenges though, when you start taking, you know, truly unstructured stuff like out of the mail and, or, or even looking at, at certain co contracts, uh, you know, uh, people start like highlighting things and color coding things and drawing arrows on the form, you know, like, I meant this. Well, when this happens, circle arrow over here, insert over here, right? And it's like, how is a computer supposed to read that? Like, there will always be a like. I think we're still generations of technology away, which, by the way, is faster than human generations. But we are still many generations away from computers being able to deal with some of those things. But when it comes to reading letters, um, reading um, structured forms there's a lot of solutions out there for that stuff right now. So the question really that I would have for you, if I can flip it around is what, what, what differentiates companies now, right? Cause if everyone's using basically the same, you know, frameworks and same patterns, um, you know, what's, what's really differentiating companies. I'm going to, I'm going to let Michelle uh, answer that in the more general case. And then I, I can talk a little bit about Indico specifically. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned it, Stacey, uh, at, at one point of um, eventually something will break down if if it's rules based or templates based. Um, I think what 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 we're seeing is, again, to that that ability to, to specialize is what are the solutions that are 
um, leveraging AI or uh, machine learning to not just have something fall into to a rules-based engine, but something that is um, more adaptable and flexible to, to how things come in, um, which is probably a nice tea up to, to Chris. But I'll make one other point as well is that uh, before it used to be, we have AI or we have a solution that can do anything. Just tell us what you want to do and we can figure out how to do it. And I think what, what we're seeing now, to your point earlier, is um, I can come in and do X very well and I can automate that process or I can solve for this or I can make sure that all of your data is valid here. Um, and so the, the specialized solutions that that maybe is get, get in the door, uh, prove out the the accuracy and the validity, and then build from there and continue the automation either on the claims or the underwriting side. So I think what we're seeing doing really well is the proven business outcome on something very specific that's solving a true pain point and then expanding from there as opposed to being, I have a technology solution that will solve all your problems. Uh, just tell me what they are. That that doesn't seem to resonate too much. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. I uh I say this a lot. I've never said it out loud on the podcast and who knows how marketing will feel, but I don't think Indico actually has a tech advantage. And I think anyone in this space, you know, in the language modeling, sort of the unstructured data space that says we have a tech advantage and they're not like OpenAI or, you know, Microsoft or Google, um, they're probably selling snake oil. The thing that differentiates solutions to me nowadays is, um, have they actually solved the problem? Have they learned from solving the problem in the enterprise? And then has all of that learning gone back into the product? And so, you know, Indico got to the language modeling space way before anyone else. And it was it was too early. Um, but one of the advantages to that was we, we stepped on every landmine there is before anyone else did. Um, and so the product is really built for the business user to be able to come in essentially do their job and have the machine learn from them doing their job. And then, you know, the parts that work, it's very clear which what the parts are that work and the parts that don't, there are ways for those to, you know, flow through the process um, and get to the right people and, and the right subsequent downstream uh, remediation efforts. So yeah, that that's, I don't, I don't think anyone has a, a tech differentiator except in the, Except in the sense of like user experience and understanding of what people are actually trying to do um, and what's hard about it. You know, I think you just differentiated yourself, Chris, by being open and honest about that. Because oh. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, I somewhat agree. Like, I, like I've tried to be kind about it by saying, like, there are only so many frameworks out there for this type of stuff. And from a tech perspective, everyone's pretty much doing the same thing. The implementation patterns, uh, there's a few ways to do that, and but everyone's pretty much doing the same thing. It's, it's not what you have; it's how you use it that's making the difference now, right? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to end on, on us complimenting Chris on that one. So uh, <laughs> Stacy, Stacy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was really um, insightful and enlightening. We appreciate uh, uh, you joining us. So thank you. And uh, for everyone else, this has been another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automated.